electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast Banks Breaking Out. Financials, the best performing sector today as earnings are underway. And after you hear what the Citigroup CEO just said on closing bell, you might be buying too. We will explain. Plus, new cryptos could be coming to a Coinbase near you as the company announces plans to diversify its platform. The man driving those changes, Adam White, will be here to tell us which ones could make the cut. But first, we start off with Netflix and Ill. Get it? Not Netflix and Chill. Netflix and Ill. The stock what getting absolutely crushed. That's for a later time, <laughs> Tim. After hours. Yes, you heard correctly. Sorry. The laws of gravity suddenly being applied to one of the hottest stocks in the market following a big miss on subscriber expectations. Let's get straight to Julia Borson with all the details. Hi, Julia. Melissa, that's right. Netflix's all-important subscriber growth falling short of estimates. This sending shares plummeting in after-hours trading. The stock now down over 13%. The company added 5.15 million subscribers in the quarter. That's more than a million short of the 6.2 million that the company itself projected that it would add. The shortfall coming from both the U.S. and overseas. Netflix also forecasting lighter subscriber growth in Q3 than expected. Netflix saying they look to add about 5 million new subscribers in Q3 versus the 6 million that analysts had projected. Now, CEO Reed Hastings did not attribute the shortfall to any increasing competition, but rather to challenges to their own internal forecasting. Hastings did address growing competition, though, head-on, saying he believes that there's room for multiple properties to have attractive offerings for consumers. We'll have more on Hastings' take on the competitive landscape and analysts' reaction to the shortfall coming up later in the show. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. We'll see Julia a little bit later on. Now, just a recap here, Netflix is down 13% after our shedding roughly $24 billion in market capitalization. For those keeping score at home, that is the size of CBS, double the size of Viacom. So what do you do with the stock here, Guy? Well, I've been bullish in the stock, so obviously today I'm dead wrong. Um, and that is a significant number. But to me, it comes back to this. April 16th, they reported a great quarter, and they gave the guidance for this quarter. And I, my question to Mr. Hastings would be, what happened from April 16th today where you miss? It wasn't just a couple hundred thousand. I mean, this is a, a significant yeah, miss. Now, I guess the good news, <clears throat> if you still believe in the story, which I do, by the way, is that it's not due to competition in his words. It's due to some internal forecasting methods. But that, to me, makes it hard then to be bullish next quarter. Like, right, how can you trust anything they say? Right. So good for Carter, who's going to be on. He had talked about a move of this magnitude happening. But I can't in good conscience say this is a buying opportunity when, quite frankly, uh, maybe some things internally have, in fact, changed. Yeah, and I mean, look, I've been bullish on it as well. And, Guy, to be frank, I don't think we've been wrong. The stock still, with this move down, is up 80 percent year to date. So, look, the story here is still intact, in my opinion, missing the subs on some internal, you know, um, you know, miscalculation, if you will. want to hear more about that on the call. No question about it. But ultimately, this is a global media company. And I don't think one quarter like this is going to derail the story. So in my opinion, again, want to hear what they say in the call, but I'd be a buyer on weakness 
under any circumstances here. Let me just ask something. I, I don't position either way, but so this quarter they missed, and right. you're saying, all right, this is just a one quarter thing, but already they're talking about light, lighter, lighter next quarter than no the street had anticipated. I don't know if that's sandbagging or what, but does that, at Could what be. point... I think you know, it takes multiple quarters in a growth story like this to derail the story. And I think right now people are looking at this as a global media play. A global media play, not just for the But it was domestic business, subs that were the problem, David. But, but and I, look what it's I, doing I, to the I stock. I get that. I get that. And look, I, but I would say that there's a much bigger picture here longer term if you're thinking about owning the stock. So think about 20, if you're modeling this company out, you're going to model out to 2025. Make the assumption that you're in $25 in earnings. In 2025, give them a 25 multiple, that's $625 a share. So I look at it and say well, that a growth manager isn't going to look at one quarter like this and say, taking my foot off the gas going to blow out of the story. Forecasting, though, that far out is a much different story now. I mean, and with media consolidation, do. we don't know what the environment will be in two years or in three years. I mean, I would... I would submit that it's even more difficult to forecast with this competition well, coming. If there's a change in Hulu, don't tell me that it's not going to have any impact oh, on Netflix. And, and the consolidation of Hulu, I think, is a big part of it. We don't talk about it as much, but what's going on in the Comcast, Fox, Disney Wars, I mean, I think, or mergers. But so I, I think the direct-to-consumer is very much a part of what the media landscape is running all over itself to compete with Netflix, who, good for you guys. And yes, you're right. Stock's still up 100%. It's more the reason to be kind of concerned here. And at 10 and a half times EV to next 12 months, you know, I, I, this stock is absurdly expensive relative to itself, which is absurd. And so in 2015, when I thought this stock was expensive, and I've been wrong ever since, um, the stock's now 35% higher in terms of its valuation. So, uh, look, I, I, I just, to me at this point, first of all, we heard... The street seemed to be catching wind of this a couple of days ago. I know City had a note out saying they heard from third-party data providers that actually some of the subgrowth was was under a little sure. pressure. People pointed to an FX gain in the first quarter. It was almost 450 basis points in terms of their margins. That was actually very generous. So there's a lot of good news here. But let, let me just ask you one thing. On May, I don't know, May 31st, the stock was right here. Right. If you had known on May 31st that this was coming, would you have felt comfortable owning it? Uh, that it was come well. I mean, given the fact that it's had the run, I mean, if I knew this yesterday, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I know that's on May thirty first. Yeah, I would. Based on if given that guidance, given that sort of you know from the standpoint of where they got it, hundred percent. Look, I, I look at this story and say one thing that that rings sure is what he did, what Reed Hastings did comment on, which is it's not competition that's actually derailing the story or giving them a hard time. Competition, it's not it's not a zero sum game. It's not a winner take all environment here. You could have multiple venues, multiple OTT scenarios where. You know, people are going to have an HBO and a Netflix. We look at Prime subscribers and say Prime subscribers are much more likely to have a Netflix subscription. So I look at it and say, again, not a zero-sum game. I think it's about content. They've got original content. They are absolutely reigning from that standpoint. I'd be a buyer. But do you think this story is about? I mean, do you think the story is about original content? I think it absolutely is a lot of about original content. I, I mean, think mining and being Netflix doesn't come close on, to Disney or Fox. How about all the nominations, the Emmy nominations? Right, for the first time they overtook HBO. Sure. Right? And, and guess what? Each one seems extraordinary for a company that came from nowhere and is actually producing their own stuff. Good right. for them. And by the way, they're using AI and they're using algos to actually learn what we're all doing, and other people but, can do that too. Um, I, this is not a content play. And if it's a content play, then throw a Disney multiple on it. That's well, the best no, exactly. content in the world. Well, hold on. It's a content play. It's also, well, there's also things that people, I think, are missing here that aren't looking at from a long-term perspective. This is a merchandising play at some point you know, in the future. No question, Disney took back their content 
For what reason? So they can track and market merchandise in a totally different way. That was a merchandising scenario. They took it back, they have it on their own platform, and they have the ability now to cultivate that and look at it in a much more broad way. When you say merchandise, selling what do you mean? Selling product against their movies, against their themes. There's no one's better their, than Disney, so where, where's Net, why are we Netflix, arguing that for Netflix? Because they own original content. Their ability to do that in the future is an So Orange is the New Black, I'm going to have an Orange is the New Black doll Whatever that I, you know, I get. Yeah, I'm understand the consumer. There's a way to monetize that going forward. That You're talking about monetizing data, though. Correct. And no one's doing right now. So if I'm that's saying, your argument against Disney, that's crazy. No, it's not an that's argument, argument against Disney. That's his argument for Netflix. I don't see I, that anywhere I, in the most anywhere. bullish of analyst notes. So I don't understand why that enters the, the conversation in terms of valuation because at I, this point. I, oh, I'm saying to you there's other pockets of, of monetization going forward that they can tap that they haven't even tapped yet. So I look at the story and say, like Karen's question, if I saw what I saw today, last quarter, and the stock was exactly at this price, I would be a buyer in the stock. See, it's no interesting. Doubt. I mean, again, David's been spot. I'll say this about the quarter. The quarter concerns me. Obviously, the miss is sign it's a significant miss. And so yeah. there's no way around that. Now, whether it's, it's, it's competition or not, we can have that conversation later. This is what this quarter does, though, in my opinion. It, it prohibits them. If they were thinking about doing a price increase, they can't do it now, in my opinion, based on this quarter because we'll wreak a desperation. So if they came in with an inline quarter, they could have probably slipped a price increase. The street would have loved it. Now they can't do it because, to me, it'll, t it'll send the wrong message. All right. Our next guest called the Netflix decline on options action on Friday. This part right here where it's actually gone, well, parabolic. At issue now is whether we're at risk of breaking that very steep intermediate downtrend line. That's my hunch. I think Netflix has downside risk. It's a brilliant call from the chart master Carter worth a cornerstone macro. So where does he see Netflix going now? What does this mean for Fang and in turn the rest of the markets? By the way, Nasdaq features are down by about a percent right now. So Carter, what are you seeing? Well, each one's a bit different. Uh, this is reminiscent of Red Hat, Red Hat, not a Fang, but it dropped exactly 14 percent on its earnings miss uh, a week and a half ago. So obviously Netflix, here, here's the uh, after hours move post earnings down exactly the Red Hat move. Uh, but let's look at the chart and figure out, you know, where might this be headed? This is that well-defined uh, uptrend line, again, up about 108% on the year going into today's close. And what we know, of course, is the trend, as is so often the case, has been virtually perfect over and over and over. And then today, we were, and on Friday, just starting to hover at trend and cut below. And then what we know is we've got this, right? A huge after hours miss. So um, actually, it jumped to Google. So if you could just remember what was on your eye there. We are just breaking trend. There's plenty of downside, I would think, uh, for Netflix. Um, here it is, back. Look at that. Perfect. So red arrow implications are lower. How much lower? Um, you know, it's anybody's imagination. If it can drop 14%, it can drop 18 Yeah. But, but Google, let's uh, talk about Google, um, another FANG name that's got earnings coming up. Uh, this is a different setup, not an extended circumstance, uh, but something of a well-defined pattern, two patterns, in fact. The first, I would think, is this, a head and shoulders bottom with the prospects of breaking out above the tops that it's now reapproached for the third time. Another way to draw it would be a cup and handle. You can call them whatever you want, but the principles are the same. Well-defined tops at a common level and... The bet is that we're going to push up and out. Um, a couple more and I'm done. This is the, really the most interesting. We know Google's been an uptrend the better part of the past four or five years. But only just recently is it making any progress 
to the S&P. The bottom panel is relative performance to the S&P. And if you look at this line just now, after basically three and a half years, we are starting to outperform the S&P. I think the setup on the day-to-day -day basis implies a breakout. The relative is just breaking out. I think Google's probably going to be okay on its earnings as distinct from Netflix. I think there is no question that Carter comes oh, over, goodness. given the brilliant call. Really after Carter. Friday, kidding me? Michelle will bring the chair in. Good. Thank you, Michelle. Good call. Well, you know, calls to get that ones all the time, too. Okay, so, so Carter, this may be sort of a theor theoretical kind of question, not strictly technical analysis, but do you find that the validity of technical analysis is dampened, perhaps, because of ETFs and the ETFization of the market? So we'll see a big downdraft in Netflix, and that brings the whole group down. Does right. that make the reading of the charts more difficult? Well, what's interesting, so um, in, in the 20s and 30s, before in the SEC, there was talk that these syndicates would bully stocks. You know, big names like J.P. Morgan, there was no regulations. And then in the 60s, mutual funds were so such a big player that they would influence things. And now they talk about ETFs. The truth is the patterns haven't changed. Stocks top the same way. They bottom the same way. They trend. They break trend. And while it might be accentuated, right, because people can act without having any specific knowledge of the stock through an ETF, uh, the principles are unchanged. This is not for Carter. This is more for us. It's just I see it on Twitter. Okay. It's worth March 26. Netflix announced Susan Rice was joining the board. Obviously, they announced the uh, President Obama and his wife were going to be some sort of contributors. People are saying maybe this terrible number is based on the fact is as polarized as a country or maybe people stepped away from Netflix because of that. That is a valid explanation in the environment that we find ourselves in. Just right. something to think about. Carter, hang on there. We've got a news alert here on Amazon that we want to get to. Let's go to Kate Rogers for details. Kate. Hi, Melissa. Well, as you might recall, for the past two hours since 3 p.m. Eastern, Amazon had been experiencing some glitches on its website and app when users tried to search and purchase items for Prime Day. The deals just weren't loading. So Amazon came out with a statement on Twitter just about 15 minutes ago saying some customers are having difficulty shopping and we're working to resolve this issue quickly. Many are shopping successfully. In the first hour of Prime Day in the U.S., customers have ordered more items compared to the first hour last year. There are hundreds of thousands of deals to come and more than 34 hours to shop Prime Day. And if you can uh, call this up there, this is what people were seeing when they went to go shop those deals. These sorry, something went wrong messages, cute photos of dogs, but again, not what uh, customers were looking for when they went to go shop on Prime Day. And from 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, through the after hours, the stock was down around 2% since this all began. Back over to you, Melissa. Okay, Kate Rogers, thanks so much. Uh, the stock right now is down by about 1.5%. What are you uh, looking at in the charts of Amazon? Well, Amazon in principle is prospectively the same thing, right? If something is extended, crowded, expensive, if you use fundamentals, mm -hmm. at some point you need an incremental buyer. It didn't happen to be there for Red Hat. It doesn't happen to be there for Netflix. Um, uh, could it be Amazon next? I mean, that is the nature of when you're priced for perfection. You have to keep being perfect with your results. I'm going to turn to you because you seem to be okay with price perfection, think that things yeah. can go higher despite price for perfection. So Yeah, I mean, I look at Amazon and say, Amazon, people aren't in this story because they're expecting earnings growth or anything like that right now. They're in the story because they want to see top-line accelerations on the business that they're, invent, uh, that they're investing in. And, and until that derails, story derails, it's, in my opinion, a buy, right? So you stick with that, that name. 
you know, with regards to Netflix now, I mean, Netflix, the story was Reed Hastings always setting it up for a beaten raise on the subscriber sort of estimates. And this quarter, obviously, they had some sort of issue there that's, that's leading them to a weaker number. I want to hear more about that, but it doesn't mean one quarter's changing the narrative. Okay. Oh, and that's knowing who you are in the market. If you're right. a trader, it means everything. If you sure. think it's going to quintuple four right. years from now, you yeah. stay long Netflix. Right. Should we be worried about the FANG trade, Should we be worried, which has really held the markets up for all intents and purposes in terms of gains on the S&P 500? Yeah, I mean, I think we should for tomorrow. I think they're, I mean, already they're trading poorly yeah. tonight. And it, as you talk about the ETFs, maybe just money coming out of there. To me, an Alphabet is a, and a Facebook is a very, very different story than Netflix. I find them value where I can't say the same about Netflix and Amazon. Nevertheless, they're trading down together tomorrow. Well, I, I think Netflix and Amazon have certainly given people a lot of confidence during some difficult periods in this market over the last couple of months. So um, I think if you lose some of that leadership, I think there's reason for it. I think ultimately uh, there is only so much of a price you can pay on stocks. I, nothing changed for Amazon today in terms of their business. A glitch on their site, no big deal. But you get to a place where so much good news. Prime, Prime Day was supposed to be, you know, bigger than Black Friday, bigger than Singles Day, bigger than you name it, um, all wrapped up into one. And people expected that and it was in the price. You made a big deal, Carter, of uh, closing above 2800 on the S&P on Friday. And today we gave that up. Do you think that this pressure on the tech sector coming from Netflix and now from Amazon could uh, you know, well, put 2,800 I mean, I, I'm not farther sure off. 2,800 is that important. I mean, okay. I know it's the intermediate tops. I mean, what is so important is, that, again, the top five stocks in the S&P are worth now $4 trillion, more than the bottom 270. So much hangs in the balance with these big names. Yeah. Last word, Guy. Well, I think Carter, I mean, that's why you watch, by the way, folks. If you haven't been, Options that's why you on Friday at 530, you watch, because at the top Stay of the late. show, CBD, I also believe you said that 320 was the level that would sort of touch back to that long-time trend line, and now we're within the crosshairs of that. So well done, Carter, and poorly done by myself. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Carter Braxton, worth the cornerstone. Coming up, we've got much more Netflix earnings. That stock getting crushed in the after-hour session following that huge subscriber miss, now down 14.5% lows of the session. Mr. Netflix himself, BTIG's Rich Greenfield, the biggest bull on Wall Street. He will be here for instant reaction. Plus, the big banks breaking out today after better-than-expected earnings. We'll tell you if this is the start of a bigger turnaround. And later, Bitcoin showing signs of life today after BlackRock said it was getting in on the crypto craze. So, will a potential Bitcoin ETF revive the space? Fast Money friend Kevin O'Leary, a.k.a. Mr. Wonderful, will be here to weigh in. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
we're finally getting to and hitting, and I think the Fed's comfortable with their inflation targets. We're seeing growth, good growth in the economy, and the Fed's reacting uh, in a way that's, that's positive because the markets are giving it, or interest rates in the economy are giving it the room to do that. So I don't, I don't read too much into that right now. That was Citigroup CEO Michael Corbat on Closing Bell moments ago, making it clear that he doesn't see the flattening yield curve as a threat to banks or the market as a whole. And investors seem to agree with Corbat today as big banks soared on the back of Bank of America earnings. Financials, in fact, the best performing sector today. So is this the start of a bigger comeback, Karen? I hope so. I mean, it, this isn't why I was in it, for them to get to where they are right now. I mean, you know, I think that if you're looking for places that are cheap, these are still very, very cheap. I mean, it's not usually Bank America that kind of sparks the whole group. Sparks yeah. the group, and yet it did. I think you know they had a particularly good quarter on both growth side, also on the expense side. But the the whole sector is still very cheap. I like the story. The economy's growing, and maybe as we were talking about in the break, maybe if momentum, uh, you know, if Fang is out of favor for the moment, you have to wonder if people will look to the banks. Well, certainly it's very cheap. I mean, on valuation, again, I, I look at the banks and, and nine and a half times as a sector versus nine and a half to 12 and a half times historical, right at the bottom in, a, in an economy that's supposedly in a very good place. So um, I also look at the, the sequencing of how this went through last quarter. Banks on the first day of trading didn't go so well. And then yeah. banks, same thing happened. We had a sell off in the leaders. We actually had banks rally. And I think if you want to follow the same allegory from a trading perspective, you've got plenty of fundamentals behind it. But yeah, I think the banks continue to move. But what, I mean, Bank of America notwithstanding, what really changed that? I'll tell you, in my, so my thing has been banks should trade about 1.7, 1.8 times price to book. They've been underperforming. And I've tried to figure out why they've underperformed. My reason has been Deutsche Bank. Maybe it's dragging down the rest of the space. And finally, it hasn't today. Deutsche Bank was up 8% today. Maybe that finally gave some air cover to some of these bank stocks. I think that was part of it without question. Deutsche Bank will report, I think, on the 26th. But they gave preliminary guidance today, which assuaged some of the fears. But I don't think that I don't think earnings is the story. But I think that gave the banks air cover today without question. All right. Well, CNBC Jim Cramer will be sitting down with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan on Mad Money tonight. So you want to catch this exclusive interview at 6 p.m. right after Fast. Still ahead, it is a big after hours mover. Netflix is tanking. Yes, tanking. Look at that. Down more than 14 percent. The company conference call kicks off at the top of the hour. We will tell you what to expect. And here from the biggest Netflix bull on the street, Rich Greenfield. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. That's one small step for coin, one giant leap for crypto. That's what some Bitcoin watchers are saying about Coinbase's decision to explore adding new coins to the platform. We will talk to the man driving that decision. Plus, deep thoughts with Elon Musk's Twitter feed. Sorry, pedo guy, you really did ask for it. But could Musk's Twitter feed finally be hurting Tesla's stock? The traders will debate when Fast Money returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The world's largest asset manager is thinking of going crypto. Why and what are the implications for the ETF business? Our Leslie Picker is live from 30 Rock with the details. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. The excitement in the crypto world, and there was plenty of it today, began with a report by London-based Financial News. The story said that BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, has set up a working group to study ways to take advantage of the crypto market. That sent the price of Bitcoin higher today, among lots of chatter on Twitter. But part of that report is true, Melissa. A source told me that BlackRock has formed a working group, but back in 2015. I'm told that the firm's views on crypto haven't changed, that the three-year-old working group was set up to really share information and stay smart on the issue. A spokesperson for BlackRock told me, quote, like most financial institutions, BlackRock has a working group that meets periodically to exchange information on blockchain and consists of employees from various parts of the business. We have, we being BlackRock have been looking at blockchain technology for several years, recognizing potential for shared processes and data across market participants, clearing settlement and reconciliation and simplified securities issuance. Chairman and CEO Larry Fink told Bloomberg today that not a single client has inquired about crypto or sought exposure to digital currencies. Back in October, if you recall, Fink called Bitcoin an index of money laundering. Any change of heart, though, would be significant because BlackRock manages $6.3 trillion in assets. About two-thirds of that is in passive instruments like index funds and exchange-traded funds. Inflows slowed in, in the second quarter at BlackRock, which raked in about $20 billion. The firm disclosed alongside earnings this morning down more than 80 percent from last year. So the question is whether crypto is a new avenue for growth at BlackRock. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker from 30 Rocks. So are we witnessing peak ETF? Let's ask the man who has created and manages a few of his own ETFs, Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank and chairman of O'Shares ETF Investments. Kevin, it's always great to speak with you. Are we witnessing peak ETF or does this really speak to the increased number of um, participants offering ETFs in the markets? I think people categorize ETFs as one asset class. It's not. The beginning of the ETF market came with just very blunt instruments, just market cap weighted indices, and they still are the lion's share of the AUM. But in the, in the last couple of years, this concept of actively managed ETFs has come to the front. And that's where I'm really intrigued because as you know, someone who invests, if I can find a great manager and institutionalize their philosophy into an index, it's cheaper, it's more liquid, it's more transparent, and it's way more tax efficient. And, you know, great indexers like FTSE Russell, for example, mm -hmm. I don't want to own the Russell 2000 because there's so many companies that don't make any money. You have to go back to them and say, look, you're the indexer of this fantastic index that's outperforming now because it's got tax advantage situations and it's got deregulation on domestic revenue. But I don't want to own all the stuff that's unprofitable because, A, it doesn't get the tax benefit. And you've got a lot of REITs in there that don't have any tax benefit of reform. Make me an index that just get, gets me the profitable companies. And they did. And there's only 338 of them out of the 2,000. I own that. That's OUSM. That's an index <clears throat> they built. I like it. That works for me. That's so, actively so managed So when we indexing. hear, uh, you know, when it comes to BlackRock, inflows into iShares, 
were the lowest since the second quarter of 2016. That's not a statement, you think, of the ETF industry. That's a statement no. as to what BlackRock, BlackRock offers versus its competitors. BlackRock is the big daddy. They are the behemoth ship, and they have pretty well every index there is, including all the blunt instruments, which are market cap-weighted indices. I can see if markets go flat or have a drawdown, you're going to see fund flows out of those. But if you can solve a person's problem by creating an actively managed philosophy on an index at half the cost of an active manager, you're going to continue to get money in there. We're at $4 trillion here. It's going to keep growing. Let's talk about the blunt instruments, though, because we were just having this conversation about Netflix, which is down by more than 14% right. in the after-hour session. Are we going to see that pressure on FANG stocks? Because not only are there you know, the people who just want to buy the Qs, but there are also the people who want to buy the, the more specialized right. ETFs, like the FANG Plus, the Momentum ETF, all the things that own Netflix as a top holding. There's so much overlap here. If there's a drawdown, it's going to affect a basket of stocks. If you're a long-term shareholder in Netflix, let's take the, the, the FANG stock du jour that's getting slaughtered tonight. You're used to drawdowns as much as 30%. This is not the first time you've been clobbered. On, either you believe in the philosophy of what they're doing domestically and globally, or you don't. If you do, wait for the three-day washout. There's going to be all kinds of research tomorrow that's going to slam this stock. Wait for three trading sessions and average down. I mean, that's what others have done. I mean, am I going to change my mind about Netflix at this point in time that this whole business model has changed dramatically? No. They missed a number like they've missed a number many times before. I remember down 32% on Netflix. Yes, grown men will weep, but this too will pass. And frankly, their numbers internationally look fantastic. Let's get to crypto. Is this going to be an, a new avenue of growth for the industry, in your view? You know, have, you been, have you been fielding any inquiries that, hey, Kevin, when are you going to do your own Bitcoin sort of ETF? No. Okay. No, no. My take on this is institutional money is not going to go there yet for one basic reason. Compliance and the regulatory environment. Until, you know, crypto is intriguing. There's all kinds of green shoots. The Swedish government talking about a coin for the country. The Swiss announcing an exchange for crypto. All this stuff is interesting. But until you know with certainty if you're an asset allocator and you're running a sovereign fund or you're doing a pension plan for, you know, for some state, you're not going to put a dime into this stuff because the regulator's not on board yet, and we have to wait until that happens. I mean, at the end of the day, you, want, you need to know it's transparent, it's compliant, and the regulator's on board, and then you'll see real money. Right now, it's fringe. And by the way, the dialogue I've noticed on Bitcoin in the last 60 days has dramatically changed. It's starting to sound like the pioneer with the arrows in its back because people are saying it's not the definitive platform anymore, that maybe Ethereum is becoming the new platform and all of a sudden, Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin? That is not good for Bitcoin investors. That is the yesteryear story mm -hmm. on something changing. Just a personal opinion, but if I were along Bitcoin right now, I'd start to worry about it because that is not the hot du jour story on crypto anymore. I guess you're not long Bitcoin. No. Or are you? Okay. <laughs> and I'm not sure <laughs> okay. Bitcoin. Right. In fact, I don't even know how to do that on a compliant basis. That's right. the way I look at it. Kevin, thank you. It's always great to see you. Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful himself. Look, I, I think crypto is interesting. I mean, I look at BlackRock. BlackRock would be foolish not to figure out a way to get involved here and at least get educated, especially given their AUM. I think any asset manager right now would be foolish because this could be the differentiating factor when it comes to performance when you think of passive versus active. So as an active manager, you think about understanding this space. place you can collect fees right now. You collect fees, right? You can right, actually price this product. This will market. become a legitimate investment class, and you got to be intelligent on it. All right, still ahead, more crypto.
Coinbase is exploring a handful of new coins to add to its platform, including Stellar and Cardano. We'll talk to the man behind those potential changes. Plus, it is the story, the big story of the after-hour session. Netflix getting crushed following that big miss in subscriber growth, down 14% right now. We'll talk to media analyst and megabull Rich Greenfield of BTIG. More Fast Money right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it the Tesla hangover. The stock sinking 3% today after yet another wild weekend on Twitter for Elon Musk. First, Musk denying allegations that he was a big GOP donor and in now deleted tweets insulting one of the British divers involved in the rescue of the 12 Thai boys and their soccer coach. Now, this isn't the first time Tesla shares have ridden the highs and lows of Musk's Twitter feed. The stock on a wild ride in the past few months and the options traders are betting on more pain ahead. Mike Coe's got the action, Mike. Yeah, so we saw the uh, put call ratio was about 40% above average. And where we saw the most opening activity today was the July 290 puts. Those are the puts that expire this coming Friday. We saw over 4,200 of those trading for around about two bucks. So those are bets that Tesla could fall down around 288 by the end of the week. And that is representing about a $22 decline from where it's currently trading at about 310. You know, what's crazy about this whole thing is that Elon Musk could arguably be Tesla's greatest asset, but also it's its greatest liability at this point, guys. So what do you do? Um, well, you, know, you want him to sort of shut up at some point when it comes to this stuff. We want him to shut up on the bad stuff. You want right. him to be, continue to be vocal on the, on the good you, stuff. You're gonna, to your point, you're going to get both. So it's, he's you know, that's just the person you're the, the cards you've been dealt for the technicians out there. This would concern me. I've been bullish in this as well. You know, it's made a series of lower highs now for the last year and a half, two years. That's a problem. The fact that we were not able to take out the all-time high on this recent run-up would concern me. 280 has been a line in the sand. Now this gives ammunition back to the bears to push to the downside. So I think at this point, given no catalyst in, my, in the horizon, at least positive, maybe we retest that 280 level again, especially in light of what just happened with Netflix because you throw all these names in the same basket. Right. All right, Mike, thanks for the action there. For more options action, check out the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, new coins might be coming to Coinbase, and the man who's driving that process will join us live on set. Which coins does he think he'll add to the platform down the line? Stick around to find out. Plus, we're monitoring the move in Netflix. That's not getting crushed on earnings. We'll hear from Mr. Netflix himself, a.k.a. Rich Greenfield of BTIG. Is the bull story over? More Fast Money after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. A handful of cryptocurrencies surging after Coinbase announced that it is looking to potentially add them to its platform. Bob Pisani is at the New York Stock Exchange with all the details. Hi, Bob. Coinbase keeps growing. Nothing's been approved yet, but Coinbase is considering adding five new coins to its platform, including Cardano, Basic Attention Token, Stellar Lumens, Zcash, and Zero X, which will be joining Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin on their platform. Now, not surprisingly, these proposed coins were trading up anywhere from 15 to 25 percent on Friday night after that announcement was made. Still, many of these altcoins are down big time, 40 percent or more on the year. Cardano's down almost 80 percent so far in 2018. Now, bear in mind, we're dealing with very tiny market caps right now. Cardano and Stellar are at about $4 billion each and well below $1 billion for Zcash and 0x and basic attention. Remember, Bitcoin has a $114 billion market cap. The company made the announcement late Friday after the bell, both publicly and internally. Now, that's important 
Remember back in December of last year, Bitcoin Cash was suddenly added to Coinbase and the price of Bitcoin Cash surged several hours before the announcement was publicly made. And that led to some allegations that insiders at Coinbase may have traded ahead of the announcement. Now, important thing is Coinbase subsequently said their policy prohibits employees and contractors from trading on material non-public information. But they also said they would not hesitate to terminate the contracts of employees who have traded based on insider knowledge. Back to you, Melissa. All right, thank you, Bob Pisani. Well, our next guest is the man driving those potential changes to Coinbase. Adam White is Coinbase Institutional's general manager, and he joins us now on set. Adam, welcome to Fast Money. Great to have you here. Thank you, great to be here. Um, I would imagine that trading volumes have really dried up since the December peak. Is adding new coins a bid to just increase volume on the platform? Look, I think we have a long-term vision for the space, and we are focused on building the exchange, the wallet, the custodian that allows capital to move into the space and for price discovery to happen. Certainly volumes today are lower than they were in kind of the end of Q4 in January. Um, the idea behind adding new assets is very simple. Our customers want it. At the end of the day, we are building a product that our customers come to us, whether they're retail investors, of which we have more than 20 million, mm -hmm. or whether they're some of the largest institutional investors in the space. And they say, we love the fact that we can trade on a compliant, safe, trusted platform like Coinbase, but give us exposure to more assets. And Friday's announcement is an intention that we're working towards that. Is there another set of criteria now that you have the Coinbase Index Fund? I mean, is adding a, an asset to the platform an indirect way of saying we are bullish on these coins because that index fund is going to carry every single coin that's traded on the platform? It's certainly not bullish. It is absolutely an indication that that asset has passed what we call our digital asset framework. So you can look at this digital asset framework as kind of an industry best practice. Look at some of the existing exchanges having listing standards. Um, we built this 60-point digital asset framework as an objective rubric that we share external. So anyone can look and say, okay, why did Coinbase decide to add Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ether? Um, we want to be able to share that information transparently and also help guide the industry towards what we think are best practices for creating assets. So a question just on the institutional side. People are talking about the institutional money coming to this platform, coming to this, this, uh, you know, security, this level of securities. When I look at our firm and say the marketing aspect behind it for us has been fierce, right? We're trying to get the institutions like up to speed on, on these assets, et cetera. What kind of ramp are you guys seeing from the institutional side as far as year-over-year -year ramp, for, you know, what, as far as fund flows or just interest? Yeah, I'd say unprecedented, yeah. right? What would, what's so unique about cryptocurrencies, in many ways, this asset class was driven by retail investment, yeah. right? Not institutions. What we saw throughout 2017 is that institutional conversation became more and more profound to the point where we've opened up a New York office, we've launched a suite of institutional products. Coinbase Custody launched for business just a few weeks ago. We're in the process of onboarding our third tranche of initial institutional investors. We announced Coinbase Prime, kind of our akin prime broker offering in the space. And probably just as importantly, Coinbase Markets, a low latency matching engine that's being built out of a Chicago office. All those are incredible steps forward. Um, what we're seeing with institutions, though, is they want absolutely the right regulatory structure around it as well. So we're really happy to announce today that uh, we've acquired a series of broker-dealer licenses. We acquired a broker-dealer, an ATS, and an RIA. Mm -hmm. that, those licenses allow us to operate effectively uh, a regulated compliant exchange, a regulated compliant custodian and, and asset manager. Those are all things that are really important for institutions. You heard Kevin's interview just before, earlier, right? I did. We were, in, yeah. in terms of addressing the issue of Bitcoin is its market share, Forget the prices, but in market share of how much you trade, what's happened to Bitcoin's market share of that over the last several months? Um, so it's a fair question. We tend to focus much more on things like developer interest. So how many GitHub repositories, how many novel applications or use cases are being developed? 
there's certainly uh, a strong argument that a lot of that developer interest has moved to other platforms like Ethereum, maybe in some of the platforms that we announced we're starting to explore as well. Um, Bitcoin's market cap is like all of cryptocurrencies probably decreased over the past year or so as well. I actually don't pay too, too much of attention to that. Um, but Kevin and I were speaking backstage and he said, look, Adam, what's most important for me, someone like uh, coming from my background as an active uh, wealth manager, is three things. I need transparency, I need liquidity, and I need compliance. And we said, look, those are the exact three things Coinbase is working on. And, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but we've had a couple big announcements. We've got some more that are going to help put us on that path. I get, though, I get the development on certain platforms, and that should make them differentiate. But they don't, they're not differentiated in how they trade. So when does that break? When, when does that correlation break? When does it, oh, you know what, I'm seeing more things being developed on the Ethereum platform, and so therefore... Ethereum should trade differently from Bitcoin. So it's, I think it's one of the most fascinating fields of study right now. People call it crypto economics. It's how do we fairly value these new assets, right? You can't use a discounted cash flow. There is no black shoals of cryptocurrency. We're seeing a lot of interesting um, theses come out. Placeholder Capital has introduced one uh, coming out of universities like Stanford, some, some white papers as well. The honest answer is people are valuing these assets very differently, right? Whether they're crypto hedge funds or the retail investor. Um, the core metrics I think most people look at, though, is what are the daily transactions? How much volume is moving through it? How many people are building on top of it? At the end of the day, these are open protocols that are there to facilitate the kind of uh, value creation and movement. That's right. what I think is most important. Adam, thanks. Good to see you. Adam White of Coinbase. Tim? I, I don't think it's complicated to see why they're trading with an R squared of one. I mean, the correlation is, is basically all together. I think that continues. But Coinbase, every time they make these announcements, those guys stand out. Still ahead, Netflix tanking on earnings and taking Fang along with it. Rich Greenfield, the biggest and until now one of the most accurate Netflix bulls, will be here to make his case ahead of the conference call right after this short break. Netflix is tanking on its earnings report, so what is Wall Street saying? Julia Borson has that. Julia. Well, Melissa, we can expect the everyday things to face some serious questions about what's driving that disappointing subscriber growth and lower than expected subscriber guidance for next quarter, especially after Hastings said in his letter to shareholders that he anticipates more competition from the combined AT&T Warner Media Company and Fox and its new parent company, whether that's Disney or Comcast. Now, Victor Anthony from Aegis Capital telling us that this is a material miss on both company guidance and our expectations, which should challenge the extremely positive sentiment on the stock. Anthony is saying that we continue to remain on the sidelines. Wedbush's Michael Pachter is saying, quote, the stock is down because domestic additions fuel the cash flow losses. Everyone accepts that international is in investment mode and their guide is wimpy as well. He says, I think that investors should also be concerned by the ballooning balance sheet for content. But GBH analyst Daniel Ives saying that the subscriber miss was a, quote, disappointment, but does not move the needle on our bull core thesis that international subscribers will march down the path to hitting between 90 million and 100 million subscribers by 2020. I'm saying that he would be buyers of Netflix on this weakness. We'll have to see if the stout bounces back uh, on all of these comments um, or whether there's more of a reaction to what Hastings has to say. That video call starts at the top of the hour. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, now to one of the most followed Netflix watchers, BTIG's Rich Greenfield. He joins us now on the Fast Line. Rich, great to speak with you. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Um, explain to me this whole forecasting, this model that Netflix used that missed by a million subscribers. The, the magnitude of the miss seems to tell me that whatever they're using is terribly not reliable. 
Well, I think one of the main things to keep in mind is that Netflix has been historically pretty terrible at forecasting its subscriber growth. They've had big misses. They've had big beats or outperformance relative to expectations. I actually would, if, if, you, if you actually think of all your viewers, if they go back over time and you, you look at what's actually happened, the last two times Netflix has missed uh, a quarter in terms of subscriber growth, the next couple of quarters they've substantially outperformed. And so they may be just setting a low bar for next quarter that kind of gives them room to outperform after the, the disappointing number this quarter. But, but I'd also keep in mind that, you know, the U.S. number, you know, what people are saying, oh, you know, they're probably on track to do roughly five-ish million subscribers. That's been our number for, the while, for, the, for a while for this year. Five million subscribers on a base of 55 million is just unprecedented. Remember, HBO kind of topped out a little north of 30. So the fact that Netflix is still growing at, you know, roughly 10% in the U.S. is a pretty astounding number. International has always been hard to forecast. It's going to be lumpy. But they're still very early in Asian markets like India. But those markets have tremendous potential over the next few years. So I think in no way is this stock tapped out. It may have gotten a little ahead of itself relative to this quarter, but I think the long-term growth potential is completely unchanged. Hey, Rich, it's Tim Seymour. So I agree the execution has been unbelievable. But talk to us about the valuation and when is enough enough and how much of this is priced in, all that usual stuff. But that's really the issue here, isn't it? I mean, look, this stock had exploded past our $330 million, sorry, $330 price target over the course of the last month. I mean, this stock has been a monster in terms of growth as, as people have piled into it. I think as you look at growth potential, though, you know, you look at how early they are in India, where they probably have a million or less subscribers. I would suspect that the TAM, the total addressable market in India, is probably 50 to 100 million subscribers at least. Remember, the U.S. is at you know, in the 50s. And so, you know, they have a market that is as large, if not substantially larger in India than the U.S., and they're just getting started in India. So as you think about where this stock can be in a few years, as they start to execute in markets like India, as Japan starts to kick in, you know, you've seen it already kick in in Latin America. You've seen it start to kick in in France and Germany and continental Europe. Asia is the next frontier. We have not seen, I want to be very clear, we have not seen Asia kick in yet to the numbers. As you start to scale in Asia, and they're just starting to do original programming, Sacred Games was their first big Indian original launch last week. I mean, they are very, very early in India. I would, you know, go back that, you know, Netflix has had some big negative swings when they've missed before, and it's created some unbelievable long-term buying opportunities in the stock in the past. Rich, always great to get your analysis. Appreciate it. Rich Greenfield of BTIG. Yeah, uh, a call gets underway or the webcast gets underway in, in just under five minutes time. What do we do here? The stock is still down about 14 yeah. percent in the after hours. I agree with everything you just said. The question is now, will people not cut them? The, I think the market's given them a pass on a lot of things. I think now they'll be under the microscope and they're, they're in the penalty box now until next quarter's earnings. And I think the answer is probably yes. So I think at this point, that 320 level that Carter flagged, I think it's in the crosshairs for sure. Now, we were discussing this in the commercial break, but I thought it was interesting. And you brought up Susan Rice being added to the board and a lot of the additions to the Netflix programming being sort of leaning Very liberal to the box. left. Yep. Um, should we consider that as maybe a you know, pressure I mean, in terms of Look, Guy brings up a very good number. point, but I, I don't think that would have an impact just on the quarter. I mean, they talked very clearly, or they mentioned very clearly, that this had to do with some sort of internal, you know, way of forecasting their sub-numbers. So I would suggest that it probably didn't have an impact, and I wouldn't trade the stock based on that alone. What a slippery slope for them to have to try to, uh, you know, totally. figure out what is the right programming exactly for the right. 
for the base that we have. That's a difficult number. I, just, I don't I, think we'll hear from them whether that happened or not. I just think we price Wait. this company like it has no competition, and that's the biggest issue here, and their valuation. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. Yeah, you know, we talked about Google on the show. If we put it on the 23rd, that's a chart to buy. That's a fundamentals to buy, Google. Chairwoman. Yes. It was a really nice move today. Great quarter from Bank America. But still, I think the stock is too cheap. Happy to buy it or own it right here. Bag. <laughs> I may be wrong in the very near term, but Netflix, I want to buy the weakness. I think for the long term setup here, it's a no-brainer. Didn't sound too confident there. No, no, he's, no, he's 32. Saying, 32 is a little. May not work maybe. out, but. And you've you both know, been man. right. You've both been right on the stock. It's yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. You know, Bag was a character on Happy Days. Yeah, similar. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't like know that. Sort of the name of his gang was the. I don't know. Quite the war, the, the we, do we have a final trade coming? I, <laughs> I think, I think U.S. Don't have Bank a lot of time Corp. Here. one of the best banks out there into their earnings release on Wednesday, Mel. All right. I'm Boom. Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.